Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come and worship you and to be in your presence. And I pray that your spirit would come into this room and fill our minds with the presence of the Holy Spirit and that we would be closer to God during this hour, that we would set aside all distractions. And please be with me and help me to speak clearly so that I would speak your words and not mine. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm so glad to see all of you here today. I missed all of you. I've been gone the last two Sabbaths, but if you didn't make it to GYC this year, you really did miss out, and I hope that the spirit of GYC will continue here at Advent Hope this year with the messages that we heard. And what I'm going to be talking about today comes from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is probably my favorite book in the Bible, and I want to focus on something that is very important from Scripture. And today we are going to study the Bible, and we're going to study about Jesus. How about that? We're going to study about Jesus, and I'm looking forward to what God has in store for us today as we learn more about who Jesus is. And turn with me to Hebrews 9 and start in verse 24. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The verse that we are going to look at especially today is verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The phrase that we are going to look at especially today is, what does it mean to look for him? And that's the title of our message today, unto them that look for him. What does it mean to look to Jesus? Hebrews actually will give us a better understanding of that. But before we break down the phrase, unto them that look for him, I wanted to point out something very interesting in verses 25 through 28, starting in verse 27. If you notice verses 25 through 28, they have a pattern, an A-B pattern, where the first half of the verse is conveying one idea, and the second half of the verse is conveying another idea. And verses 25 through 28, if you look at them carefully, each of the, f- the first half of each of those verses is essentially saying the same thing, and the second half is essentially saying the same thing. So starting in verse 27, it says, As it is appointed unto men once to die. So it's talking about death. 
And then after the, it says, after this, the judgment. And then if you look at verse 28, it says, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. This is talking about Christ's death on the cross. And then after that, it says, he shall appear the second time without sin. So in the second half of verse 28, we have passed from the cross to the second coming. And what comes in between the cross and the second coming? Well, the judgment where, where Jesus investigates those who are righteous and those who are not. So we have in verse 27 and verse 28, we have death, then judgment. Now, if you look more carefully, going back to 25, it says, nor yet that he should offer himself up. And this is speaking of Christ. And this is talking about dying. Again, so once again, the death of Christ. And then the last half of verse 25 talks about the high priest entering into the holy place every year with blood of others. Well, this passage is especially talking about the Day of Atonement ministry because it's talking about the yearly ministry of the high priest. And we can show that earlier in Hebrews 9, verse 7, that talks about the high priest entering into the most holy place every year. So in the first half of verse 25, we have the sacrifice of Christ. The second half, we have the most holy place ministry of Christ. And then again in verse 26, we see um, Jesus, it says he must have often have suffered since the foundation of the world if he were to be sacrificed every year. But it says, once now, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin. And here's a key phrase here. What does it mean to put away sin? When, when Jesus puts away sin, when the high priest puts away sin, that's actually in the most holy place talking about the blotting out of sin. So this is clearly talking about in the end of the world when the high priest, Jesus, enters into the most holy place, there's a work of blotting out of sin that takes place. So verses 25 through 28, very interestingly, talk about Jesus' work of his sacrifice on the cross and his work as our high priest in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. So interestingly, it's A, B, A, B. This is the dual aspect of the atonement in Hebrews. Christ's ministry on the cross and his ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. It's the dual aspect of the atonement. It's not just the cross, it's also the judgment, the day of atonement. And that is a clearly distinct message that we can see here, here at the end of Hebrews chapter 9. Now, we believe as Seventh-day Adventists that since October 22, 1844, we've been living in the antitypical day of atonement. And because of that, these passages take on extra significance for us. These verses are written especially for us, so it's important for us to study these and to know what they mean. And that's why I want to look at Hebrews 9.28. What does it mean when it says, Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Here are a group of people who are looking at Jesus and his death on the cross. They are looking for him and eventually he comes back the second time, and when he comes back the second time, he's not bearing our sins anymore. Something has happened on the Day of Atonement, and verse 26 talks about that. He put away sin. 
So there must be something in the experience of God's people that when they look at Jesus, when he comes back the second time, he's no longer bearing their sins. So what is it about looking at Jesus that enables Jesus to come back the second time without our sin? That's something that I want to know. And the book of Hebrews, interestingly, if you just stick to the book of Hebrews and don't go anywhere else, which is essentially what we're going to do, answers that question. So we're going to start. Now, actually, before I go there, I'm going to read one quote from Great Controversy, page 489. And this is pretty familiar. It says, The intercession of Christ in man's behalf in the sanctuary above is as essential to the plan of salvation as was his death upon the cross. By his death he began that work which after his resurrection he ascended to complete in heaven. We must by faith enter within the veil whither the forerunner is for us entered. So that's what we want to do today, to enter by faith and to follow Jesus. So the book of Hebrews, looking at Jesus. Well, if you look at Hebrews, it's all about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 proves that Jesus truly is God. Hebrews chapter 2 proves that Jesus truly is man. And we're going to come back to a few verses there. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us to consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 3, we're looking at Jesus in different elements. He's truly God. He's truly man. He's the apostle and high priest of our profession. And these are the things that those who are looking unto him are looking at. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, we get a little bit more direct, and we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Now, we are looking at Jesus. Now, if you look at verse 13, this is just a reminder to us that Jesus can see us as well. Verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So that's just a reminder to us of how God sees us. And then in verse 14, getting back to the theme of looking unto him, looking unto Jesus, verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. So when we look at Jesus in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, the very first thing that we look at is that Jesus is our high priest. So it's crucial for us to understand that Jesus is our high priest. And what is he doing? Well, Hebrews 7.25 tells us that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. So we see this nice, cohesive package. Jesus is our high priest. We are looking at him. He's ever interceding for us. But not only is Jesus high priest, if you look here in verse 14 of Hebrews 4, it says, Jesus is the Son of God. So when we look at Jesus, we not only look at him as our high priest, we also look at him as the Son of God. But how do we understand that? How do we look at him as the Son of God? Well, Hebrews chapter 5 gives us a more complete picture of how we look at Jesus as the Son of God. Hebrews 5 verse 8, Though he were a son... Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. 
So when we look at Jesus as the Son of God, we learn about obedience. We look at the life of Christ, and we see that when he lived his life here on this earth, that he learned more and more to live a life of obedience through the things that he suffered. And because of that, he becomes our author of eternal salvation. And later in the book of Hebrews, we're going to go back to a verse in Hebrews 12 that talks about Jesus being the author and finisher of our faith. So Jesus teaches us as the Son of God, because we are all sons and daughters of God, to live lives of obedience, that when we go through trials and sufferings, we learn to live obedient lives. So when we're looking at Jesus, we're looking at our high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us. We're looking at the Son of God who learned obedience through suffering and becomes the author of our salvation as we also follow him in obedience. Now, going on in Hebrews 4, it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So when we look at Jesus as our high priest, we look at our high priest who came to this earth, and he was tempted in all points like us. And Hebrews 2 <clears throat> makes this a little more clear, starting in verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So Jesus, who was tempted in all points like as we are, was made in all things like us, his brethren, so that he can help us with our temptation. Now, I want to read a quote, because sometimes when we think about Jesus, okay, well, he was tempted in all points like us, but I'm not Jesus, so how can I overcome? Well, let's read a quote from Desire of Ages. This is from page 122 and 123. In our own strength, it is impossible for us to deny the clamors of our fallen nature. Through this channel, Satan will bring temptation upon us. Christ knew that the enemy would come to every human being to take advantage of hereditary weakness and by his false insinuations to ensnare all whose trust is not in God. Listen to this. And by passing over the ground which man must travel, our Lord has prepared the way for us to overcome. What ground did Christ pass over? He, he passed over the ground where we have the clamors of our fallen nature. He passed over the ground of having hereditary weaknesses to sin. And yet, because he took that nature and overcame, he's prepared for us to overcome. And then the, the statement finishes, it is not his will that we should be placed at a disadvantage in the conflict with Satan. He would not have us intimidated and discouraged by the assaults of, this, of the serpent. Be of good cheer, he says, I have overcome the world. So, when we look at Jesus as our high priest, he was tempted in all points, like as we are. He took our nature so that he could overcome and show us that we can overcome too. 
And so we, when we look at Jesus, this is crucial. When we look at Jesus as our high priest, we are looking at a Savior who came to us and stooped down to the level where we are so that we can become like Him. And that's, whenever I think about Jesus in that light, whenever I look at Him that way, it increases my love for Him and it increases my faith. So Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Now interestingly, in Hebrews 9.28 where it says, Unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So Jesus gives us the example. He overcame in all points. He was without sin. And when we look to Him, we will also be without sin. And we're going to expand on that a little bit more. And I'm going to read one more quote before we move on to our next point, talking about um, being like Jesus. And this is from Great Controversy, page 623, talking about the work of our high priest. Now, while our great high priest is making the atonement for us, we should seek to become perfect in Christ. Not even by a thought could our Savior be brought to yield to the power of temptation. Satan finds in human hearts some point where he can gain a foothold. Some sinful desire is cherished by means of which his temptations assert their power. But Christ declared of himself, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. That's from John 14.30. Satan could find nothing in the Son of God that would enable him to gain the victory. He had kept his father's commandments and there was no sin in him that Satan could use to his advantage. We look at our lives and we can think of lots of footholds where Satan has gained ground. Little things where we have compromised. Maybe it's the programs we're watching on television. Well, we shouldn't even have television. You know what? I'll just say it. What, what are we doing with televisions in our house? I mean, 99% of the stuff on there is trash, and even the news is bad news. It's not good news. So we allow Satan to come in and gain footholds. And then when we read about Jesus, who says, the prince of this world cometh and findeth nothing in me, we know that that's not true of us. But yet we just read that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin, and he passed over the ground which we must pass so that we can be like him. Now notice the end of this quote. Jesus said, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. And this last sentence, Great Controversy, page 623, This is the condition in which those must be found who shall stand in the time of trouble. So, That is why we are studying Hebrews 9 today. How is it that we can look to Jesus so that when the time of trouble comes, we can stand in such a way that we can be without sin just as Jesus was? Well, again, we look at Jesus as our high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us, who's always there to help us whenever we are tempted so that we don't need to fall. We look at Jesus who is the Son of God who learned obedience through suffering so that we can follow Him, the author of eternal salvation. And when we understand these things, Hebrews 4.16 makes a lot more sense. We always read these verses, but perhaps 
haven't understand, understood the depth of this passage. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore, therefore, because Jesus is high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us, Jesus, who is the Son of God, who teaches us obedience through suffering, Jesus, who became like us so that he can help us to overcome. When we understand that, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And what's our time of need? Well, you read the passage, it's the temptations that that we all suffer with, that Jesus did as well. And when you come to the throne of grace, where does that bring you to? The throne of grace is where Jesus is and God the Father. So as we come boldly to the throne of grace, we can come boldly when we understand more completely who Jesus, our Savior, who died for us is. He's our Savior who is our high priest who became like us so that he can help us to be like him. And so then we come into his presence, into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary to have communion with him. Now, looking at the clock here, I'm going to move ahead. The whole book of Hebrews is talking about the ministry of Christ. And we've, we've talked about key elements of the ministry of Christ that we should be looking at as we look at Jesus in, the day, in light of the Day of Atonement. And in that passage in Hebrews 9, there's also the language of the second coming. It's clearly there. It says, Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. So we have language of the Day of Atonement. We also have the language of the second coming. And there's, in Hebrews chapter 10, we have a passage that also talks about the second coming and how we should be living our lives in light of the fact that Jesus is coming the second time. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Here's the great promise in Scripture that when we do the will of God, Jesus will come the second time. But notice that it's not going to happen necessarily right away. When Jesus comes back the second time, his people will have developed patience through the obedience that they've lived, through the things that they've suffered, teaching them obedience. And this develops patience. And that's essential and necessary for us to be ready for the second coming. So now we, when we put this package together in Hebrews, we have this element of looking to Jesus, the Day of Atonement language, the Judgment language, and also this message of patience. And is there one verse in Hebrews 
that summarizes all of these things together. I know you've probably been waiting for me to go to this passage. It's Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I saw some things in this passage that I'd never seen before as I prepared for this message. And it was very um, thrilling to me to see deeper into the, the things of God. But Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, again, we're, we're looking at Jesus and we're thinking about how do we look at Jesus so that when he comes the second time, our sins will not be with him. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Actually, I'm going to read through verse 4. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. We're going to look at everything that I just read. But let's start with this. We're, we're looking at the element of looking at Jesus, so that when he comes the second time, we will be without sin. So the very first thing that this talks about is it says looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith well clearly we, t- we talked about Jesus being the author of our eternal salvation and that begins with obedience as it talks about in Hebrews chapter 5 and clearly it's talking about a beginning and an ending in our experience of faith and the very f- verse before that talked about a race running the race with patience. When you think about a race, a race also has a beginning and an ending. There's the starting line and there's the finish line. And so Paul is trying to give us a picture of Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. The race begins with Jesus as our author and the race finishes with Jesus as the finisher of our faith. But there's something more to it than that. First of all, To start the race, we need to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And sometimes we we wonder why our walk with God is going nowhere. Well, in order to even start the race, it says lay aside every weight and the sin. You can't be running the race with Jesus if you have sin in your life. If you know that there's sin that needs to be confessed and you're hanging on to it. This isn't talking about unknown sin that God hasn't revealed. This is talking about sin that God has clearly revealed to you in your life and you're hanging on to it. So just to lay the groundwork right there, to start the race, you know the areas in your life that are sinful and God asks us to lay those things aside. And I know when I was at GYC this year that there was a number of things that I was convicted about. And I hope that those of you who were there will follow through with the commitments that you made because we need to move ahead and to, to stop being stuck in the same old ruts. We say that we're going to change by God's grace and then we go back to the same old habits. 
and I've done it, and we've all done it. And we get stuck in this cycle of just spinning our wheels and wondering why we're not going anywhere. Well, this verse clearly tells us, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. But how do we look at Jesus in the context of this race that has a beginning point and an ending point where Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith? Interestingly enough, if you look at Hebrews 12, verse 2, right after it says, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Where's the beginning point of this race? It's the cross. And you're never going to start that race if you don't meet Jesus at the foot of the cross. That's why Jesus says in Luke 9.23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That is the beginning of the race, the cross, looking at Jesus our Savior on the cross who died for us. But you know, most Christians, they stop right there. And that's why they can't finish the race. That's where we as Adventists come in. The cross is the beginning point, and we have to start there. Some, some of us as Adventists miss the cross. We try to start the race, but we never met Jesus at the cross. So think about that as well. But we meet Jesus at the cross to start this race of patience. And we see where the race finishes. It's where Jesus is at now. He's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the finish line, if you will. It's where Jesus is now. And we, when we follow him by faith, we start at the cross. We look at Jesus as the Son of God, our high priest, who learned obedience through suffering. We live a life of obedience. We follow him day by day. And as we get closer and closer to him, we get closer and closer to the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. And that's where I want to be. And when we keep looking at Jesus... When he comes back the second time, he will be without sin. And what happened? Because he finished our faith. He put away our sin because we ran that race with patience. But verses 3 and 4 have perhaps a crucial element. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. When we look at Jesus on the cross, he resisted unto death, striving against sin. And those of us who by faith keep our eyes on Jesus will resist sin unto blood. And I have to ask myself, do I do that today? Am I resisting sin unto death? Revelation 12 talks about a group of people that loved not their lives unto the death. And that's what this movement is all about. It's preparing a group of people who will look unto Jesus. And, and if you, in Hebrews 9, if you look at that word in the Greek, it means they are eagerly anticipating when they are looking at Jesus. Are we eagerly anticipating the second coming of Jesus? And as we do that, whatever the cost may be, whatever the price may be, 
when temptation comes our way, whatever the temptation may be, we know who Jesus is. He's our high priest who took our nature, who overcame in all points like we can overcome, and we continue to keep our eyes on him. And so we run this race. And then the final judgment comes. And Jesus, who has entered into the most holy place with his own blood, takes that blood, which he shed for us, and he takes that blood and he blots out our sin and puts away our sin. So that when he comes back the second time, he's no longer bearing our sins. He bore them once on the cross, and they're still in the record of the most holy place. But when he comes back the second time, he will be without sin because he's blotted out our sins. And I want to close with a verse in Titus that nicely summarizes everything we've just talked about. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And in verse 13, it has the same meaning as Hebrews 9.28, this looking word. It means eager, looking with eager anticipation. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Now we're going to see the, the element of the dual atonement again who gave himself for us, that's his death, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, that's the blotting out of sin, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And my friends, we are a peculiar people. We're not Seventh-day evangelicals. We're not Seventh-day anything else. We are Seventh-day Adventists with a special message of what Christ is doing, his death on the cross, his ministry in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, that he's going to blot out the sins of those who keep their eyes on him. And when he comes back the second time, he will be without sin. And that is our message. And if we ever lose that message, we will cease to become the peculiar people of God. And I like verse 15. It says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise me. Don't worry about what other people think about this message. It's based on the Bible, and it's clear. The Bible upholds this message. And even if everyone else despises this message, Jesus was despised and rejected when he was on this earth. And we will be as well if we teach this message with truth. So I exhort you today to be one of those people who is looking for the blessed hope, who's looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And again, you can see that he's on the cross. We look at him there. That's where we begin. He's in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. That's where the race ends. Again, the dual element of the atonement. It's there in Hebrews. And so I implore you, run that race with patience. Keep looking to Jesus. And if we keep looking to Jesus, he will appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And I pray that day will come very soon. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your ministry for us in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. We thank you that 
you entered there in 1844 and that by faith we can come boldly to the throne of grace to where you are now to obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need, which is now. Because we are tempted now every day. The clamors of our fallen nature cry out after us every day. But we thank you that you passed over that ground so that we can overcome as you overcame. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to be a group of people, a movement that reflects your character, your love, and that people who see us will want what we have. Thank you again for being with us this Sabbath and be with us and help us to keep the Sabbath holy throughout the rest of this day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.